like God has loved us. God is love. 1 John 4, 8. But how personally have we taken that love? When you look in the mirror, do you see a person that is the object of God's affection? When you think about it, God loved you before you were ever born. When you came into this world, it was God who safely saw your entry. You never skinned your knee. You never fell down and broke a bone. You never bled or sweated or cried when God was not concerned. The first boyfriend or girlfriend that you had, when your heart broke, God was there. And as a loving father, He was concerned. When you went away from your home of origin to school, later to college, or maybe to a job, and there was trepidation in your heart, God said, I'll go with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. When you entered into a relationship that would become a lifelong one, perhaps, God walked with you. He joined you with your spouse. He recorded it in heaven's courthouse. When your first child was born, second child, however many children you have, it was God who gave you those blessings. When you were immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, God spiritually embraced you that day as His child. No matter how many pains you felt, how many valleys of sorrow that you have traversed, how many people have hurt you, how many circumstances you would have written a different way than you lived them out, God was there. He didn't turn an indifferent attitude to your concerns, but He reached down in loving concern when He saw your condition. Someone said if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If God had a wallet, your picture would be in it. And one day when you, got, when you die, the face that you will see will be the face of your God. I have prayed that this meeting will be an encouragement to you. And as we come out of COVID, as we come out of some challenging circumstances, politically and nationally, God's people need a word of encouragement. And God's people's temperature might need fanning just a little because it's a cold world. But God is warm and His love is inviting. So in this lesson, we're going to take our spiritual temperature. We're going to go to the great physician for a checkup. And then we're going to build on whatever, uh, I don't know what your self-assessment will be in this lesson, but whatever it is, we're going to, to work this week on improving, maintaining, growing, to become more like Jesus. And none of us ever arrives at that, so we all have some growth that we could make no matter where we may find ourselves on the chart this morning. You know, Jesus is the great physician. He never met a case when He was on earth where someone came to Him and said, this is my problem. And he said, I wish I could help, but I can't. He never made a referral. He never sent away anyone disappointed who wanted what he had to offer, which was salvation and physical healing when he, was among, when he walked among men. He's not walking among men anymore, but he's still a great physician who heals all of our soul's disease. You know, physical disease is bad, but it's not nearly so bad or long-lasting a spiritual disease of sin. And physical disease doesn't keep us out of heaven, but spiritual disease does. And so the great physician this morning is anxiously awaiting a visit from each of us who needs to come to him, and he won't turn us away. Somebody saw 
the farmer had put on his barn a wind vane, and it said, God is love. And so the wind would blow it. And somebody says, that's, that's not a good saying to put on a, on a wind vane because God's love is unchanging. It is, and he said, no, no, you missed the point. The point is, no matter which way the wind blows, God still loves me. And I don't know which way the wind may be blowing in your life this morning. I don't know what your spiritual temperature may be. But God's love is unchanging. And God's love is consistent and wonderful. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had a, had a thermometer that we could put under our tongue or under our arm and we could say, oh, that's my spiritual temperature. <laughs> I've always wondered what my... You know, we can do that physically, but how do we do that spiritually? We've read the passage that we will spend time thinking about this morning, Revelation 3, 15 to 17, where the great physician gives his standard, he gives his diagnoses, and he gives his recommendation. And that really is what a doctor does, isn't it? He, he, he studies to learn the standard, and then he applies it to my case when I come see him. He makes a diagnosis, and then he makes recommendations. Maybe medicine, maybe treatment, maybe therapy. Um, but he makes some recommendations toward good health. That's what we'll do in this lesson. Let's think about uh, Revelation 3.15. I know that works. So that's what he bases his decision on. It's not what we talk about. It's not what we think about. It, it's what we do. You know, we can talk a good game. We can plan to become a Christian. But until we put those thoughts into action, we don't become a Christian. You know, so we have to make a decision. Uh, Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. Joshua 24, 15. So make a choice. Make a decision. Life is about decisions. We can choose to say no to the world, to the devil, to hell. We can choose to say yes to Jesus and to God and to the Scriptures, to the church, and to heaven. Those are our choices to make. Animals can't make choices. Plants can't make choices. But humans do. We're made in the image of God. And He is appealing to our deeper sympathies. He's appealing to our minds to say, won't you come to Me, ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. So, before we can make any improvements in our appearance, we have to look in the mirror. We saw James 1, 25. Before we can know where we're going to go on a map, we have to know where we are so we can see our destination and the path to it. So it is spiritually speaking. We have to look in the mirror to see ourselves. We have to look at the map and ascertain where we are in relation to heaven in order to be able to benefit from the mirror or the map. And so that's what Revelation 3, 15, uh, 16 and 17 do for us. Let's, let's add 16 to it and then we'll spend a few minutes just taking our spiritual temperature and then we'll notice... The recommendations. <clears throat> I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. Or, so what, what exactly does that mean? We understand that Jesus says, I wish you were hot. I wish you were on fire for God. But why in the world would he say, I wish you were cold? Well, that sounds worse than being lukewarm, doesn't it? Well, maybe this, could, maybe this is the reason. If a person is cold, that means they're away from God. That means they're not reading their Bible. They're not attending church services. They're not interested in spiritual things. Do they likely know their condition spiritually? Well, if they used to be a Christian and that's where they are now, then they likely know that they're not where they ought to be. And so they, they see the mirror. They know where they are on the map. And so they may not make this choice, but they know that it's a choice they need to make. But what about someone who's lukewarm? Someone who's 
half cold, half hot, it's likely that this person is attending services. It's likely that this person is still nominally involved in the church. It's likely that this person says prayers sometimes. It's just that they're not as enthusiastic as they used to be. It's not, not as strong as they once were. And so what's the likelihood that they are comfortable where they are? Probably pretty high because they still have some religion. Some Christianity is just not where it needs to be. So maybe Jesus is saying, I wish you were cold so that you might wake up. Where did the prodigal son come back to his senses? But when he hit rock bottom, right? When he was in the pig pen, when he was hungry and they wouldn't even let him eat the pig's food. And he thought, my father's house. You remembered something better. And so it is, cold might be the pig pen. It might help us to remember something better. Whereas lukewarm might be more like the elder brother who was at home, but he was lost at home. That's in Luke 15. Now, let's, let's, uh, let's have a visual aid. This is a, a visual aid in the mind. Can you picture with me a scale of 1 to 10? 1, 10. Now, if I gave you a marker, let's say I had three markers. One blue for cold, one red for hot, one yellow or orange for lukewarm. And I, and Randall, I gave you the blue one. And I said, come up here and color what would be cold on a scale of one to 10. What would you color? Maybe one to three? Would that, you, would, you wouldn't have enough. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not asking for an ascertainment of the whole world, just a 10, you know. <laughs> one, two, three. Uh, maybe three, blue. You know, so you, call, you got that picture in your mind? Now we got part of it blue. Let's say I ask uh, Cliff back there. Here's the red one. Would you come up and color our scale for hot? What would it, well, it'd start at 10 for sure, but how far down would he go? Maybe to 8, would it? So 1 to 3, 8 to 10, would that be cold and hot, would you say? All right, so let's see uh, William back there. I say, William, here's the yellow one. Would you come, what would you, well, you'd probably color everything that was not colored yet, right? So 4 to 7. So now we got one to three, four to seven, eight to ten, right? Now I have a black marker. And we go down the row, Priscilla, and don't tell me, first letter. That's more than a letter, but I would have got it. I mean, so, so we go in order. And you come up on this chart, and you just check your personal temperature when you walked in the door this morning. What, what would you say that temperature would have been on a, a scale of one to ten? I have no idea. I just met some of you. I learned a couple of names, <laughs> learning, learning others this week. But I don't know. I, I, I have no way of knowing that. But the likelihood is I, I know it about myself, right? So I read about a preacher who was going to do a lesson on commitment. And so he went around and asked members of the congregation, how is your relationship with God right now? And he said he received a lot of answers. He said some people said it's, it's good. Some people said, well, it could be better. He said, but the number one answer that he received was, it's okay. it's okay. Okay. So where would you put okay on our scale, would you say? Would it, it wouldn't be in the blue, would it? But would it be in the red? I guess it'd be somewhere in the middle, wouldn't it? Where, where would your, your mark be? I don't know. It may be that we're, we're all over here. But in a congregation of this many, it... It's unlikely we'd all be where we want to be. Why don't we have gospel meetings? 
Well, to teach the gospel to the lost so that heaven's roles will be larger, that God's family will have births, but also that those of us who may be drifting like, can be pulled like the magnet back to the heart of God. And that's what we're doing this morning. So that we can raise, we can move the needle on our spiritual temperature. If it is in maybe the upper yellow, we want it to be on over in the red. So how can we get that? That's what we're going to talk about this week. Moving the needle over so that when Jesus comes, He'll welcome us and we'll be glad to see Him. And there won't be trepidation. I hope so, maybe so, could be. No, it's I'm excited that I'm getting to go home. All right, now let's move into the next part of our study. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So here's the diagnosis. In this case, someone said that these seven letters to the seven churches of Asia in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 are Jesus with a clipboard. He's giving an evaluation of these seven churches, seven congregations. It's, it's my opinion, and you can disagree with this, but it's my opinion that every church can be found in those seven churches. It might be a combination of churches, but the characteristics of every congregation are found in Revelation 2 and 3. So here is the worst evaluation of all. It's the I'll spew thee out evaluation. I'm going to remove the candlestick evaluation. Now, as far as we know, Jesus never got sick while he was on earth. I guess he had childhood illnesses as other children, as children always do. But we don't have any record of it. We don't have any record of him falling off a ladder as a carpenter and having to be, you know, in the bed for a week to heal. We don't have any record of him. No sickness as far as we know. But when he went back to heaven, he said, I got sick one day. I got sick when I thought about the church at Laodicea. And well, this is a nice way to say it. I was nauseous. Spew, spew out of the mouth. Well, there are some foods that might have that uh, result or consequence. It may be something lukewarm when you're expecting something either cold or hot. It's like, ooh, <laughs> you know, I'm going to spit that out. It's, that's not attractive. Jesus says a lukewarm church or a lukewarm, well, you, you know, the, the church temperature is the aggregate of the member's temperature, right? So if you wanted to know what's the spiritual temperature of the central church of Christ, if we went down the row and we added, we wrote down all the temperatures of all the members, and then we added them up and divided by the number of temperatures there or people, that would be the temperature of the church, right? So I'm either contributing to the temperature going up or I'm contributing to the temperature going down, but my temperature counts in the church. There's nobody in the church that's not important because everybody in the church has made the image of God, was bought by the blood of Christ, and will stand before God in judgment one day. So there are no insignificant people in the church. There are no insignificant parts of the body. You know, there are parts of the body I couldn't identify a name, but if it went wrong, I'd end up in the hospital, you know? And that's the way it is with the congregation. Everybody's important. You're important to God. And so He wants all of our temperatures to be increasing. He wants us to stay high. So, I know thy works. Well, what about my works? Does He know them? Well, yeah, He knows everything. Are there any works to know about? How many works? How good am I doing those works? Am I encouraging other people in their works? What about my zeal for God? Am I zealous? Or am I sort of like, you know, nobody would know this, but did you stand in front of the closet this morning 
I don't know if I'm going to go. Somebody will ask me if I don't go. I guess I ought to I hope you don't preach to it. I don't want to get out of here as soon as I can. I, I'm not petitioning for longer. <laughs> I'm just painting a picture so I can see if I'm there. Now, tr truth be told, probably all of us could have been described at one time or another with the words that I just used, preacher included. So I'm not coming down on you like a ton of bricks. But I'm trying to help us to see, I want to do better. God deserves more. I want to be what he wants me to be because he has always been there for me. So I want my temperature to go up. I'm not going to let the devil win the battle for my soul. I tell you that. The devil's going to take it in the, in the nose. I'm going, to, I'm going to be right with God when this meeting is over, when this service is over. Verse 17. Now here's the great challenge. So you got the standard, our, our works, the temperature. We, we, can, we can judge that based on what the Bible says, John 12, 48. And then we saw the diagnoses. Some people don't believe that Jesus can really be dissatisfied. They, they have this misconception of God that He's always loving and whatever I do, whatever I am, God's tolerant, God accepts, God is pleased with. That, they, we didn't get that out of the Bible. Now, it's true God loves us, but all behaviors are not equal before God. That's the whole Bible is about, how to get right with God. That implies that we're not right with God in sin. Now... <clears throat> Here's the real problem. If, if somebody were giving away a million dollars in Clearwater, Florida in the morning at nine o'clock at a location to each person who came, where would you be at nine o'clock in the morning? Now, riddle me this. What's worth more, a million dollars or a ticket to heaven? Now, does your preacher, could, could, would, it be, would it be fair to say he's giving out tickets to heaven by teaching the gospel? Yes, not just your preacher, all of us as Christians. But I'll use him for illustration because, well, he won't get embarrassed if I make everybody look at him, right? So, how many people are going to be lined up at your door when you come in in the morning to your office? For, was anybody lined up any day this week when you came in? Why? Verse 17. Verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and need of nothing. I don't need what you got, preacher. I don't need what you are offering, Jesus. I'm okay. I got money in the bank. I got gas in the car. I got a job. I got a vacation plan. I've got, I'm okay. Complacence. Now, what's interesting about verse 17 is the difference between their self evaluation and the doctor's exam analysis, isn't it? Are there any people in this town, would you say, this state, who think that they're 100% healthy? and have no idea that they need to go to the doctor and get some treatment because they've got a serious problem. Yeah, that's why we have checkups, right? Why well, they do blood work. Well, so something can be flagged and treated before it goes too far. Sins like that. <clears throat> you might think that, you know, if I didn't have any feeling in my hand, that'd be a good thing because I couldn't feel any pain. But is that a good thing? So if I don't feel any pain in my conscience, that's a good thing, because I don't feel any pain. Is that a good thing? It isn't, is it? Because pain tells us we need to do something. Self-complacency, numbness is an enemy, not a friend. So they were self-complacent. Were, were they okay in Jesus' sight? No, they were lukewarm, going to be spewed out. The last part of 17 says, And knowest not that thou art poor and wretched and miserable and blind and naked. I don't know of any description in Scripture that 
is worse than that one. <laughs> it checked all the boxes for what you didn't want to be. Now, we might ask our, ourselves the question, how did they get there? They obviously belonged to Christ. They were a part of the church. They were Christians. They had been baptized. How did they get to the point where they were self-righteous, complacent, indifferent, saying, we don't need anything, we're good. Maybe it has to do with rich, increase with goods, don't need anything. We live in a materialistic culture, don't we? Aren't we blessed to be in a place where most, most of us have a job? We can earn a living. We can live in a house that might be better than the house our parents lived in. We can replace our car when it, it needs replacing. We don't have to wear the same clothes for 10 years in a row. We, we buy new clothes that are st more stylish or that we like better and don't have to repair the old ones when they get a, cut, uh, a tear. It's not a matter of if we're going to eat today, it's just a matter of what. It's easy in an environment like that to forget who gives us every bite, every breath, every drink, every shelter, every blessing. We are no less needy because we don't need right now than someone who needs right now. It's just that our benefactor has blessed us today. And sometimes our physical blessing can hinder our spiritual conscience. If we're not hungry, nothing bad is going on in our lives. We have a job. Family situation's pretty good. Got friends. It's easy. Well, let's say it this way. Abraham Lincoln is credited with saying, I have often been driven to my knee by the sincere conviction that there was nowhere else to go. When do you pray more? In the sunshine or the storm? When do I pray more? When things are going like I would have written the script of my life? Or when I would have never, never volunteered for this? Probably most of us pray a lot harder and more frequently in the dark days. Than in the... But do we need God any more in the darkness than we need Him in the sunshine? The answer to that question is no. We need God the same every day. We just don't know it. Deuteronomy 8, 10 to 20. Moses was getting the children of Israel ready to go into the promised land. He told them, you're going to live in cities you didn't build. You're going to drink from wells you didn't dig. You're going to eat from olive trees and vineyards that you didn't plant. You're going to live behind walls that you didn't construct. And when you do, don't you forget God in your prosperity. And then you fast forward or you just keep reading Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. You ever read the book of Judges? Did they remember or forget? They forgot. Here I am. Don't forget God when He blesses you. Joshua, things were okay when Joshua was there. They were faithful. They got the land. Judges. They forgot God. And then that evil cycle, sin, suffering, supplication, Savior, repeated eight times. When they sinned, God sent the enemies against them. They suffered. Then they prayed, and then God saved them. Now, it's a whole lot better not to have to go through that cycle. Is it better to be forgiven or never have to, never to have sinned? It's better not to have the scars of sin. <laughs> like the little boy. I'm going to issue the invitation just. But like the little boy who was mischievous. Do you say like I'll get out in Florida? He was mischievous like I'll get out. We say that in Alabama. Does that, make, does that connect to you at all? No? Okay. It means he was really mischievous. And he got in trouble all the time. His dad, you know, he punished him, but nothing seemed to work. And so he got a hammer and a box of nails, and there was a uh, post in the front yard, like right, right when you went out the door. And every time he misbehaved, 
His dad said, go drive a nail on the post. So before long, it looked like a porcupine, you know. And then he saw his son uh, staring at that post one day. He said, Dad, I've, I've been bad. This bothers me. He said, well, I tell you what, son. Every time that I find you doing something good, I'll let you take a nail out. And it really motivated the young man. And before long, all the nails were gone. And he saw his son looking at that post another day. And he said, son, that's a good job. All the nails are gone. He said, yeah, but dad, the scars are still there. See, it's better not to learn from punishment and, and reform. It's better never to have to do what needs to be put. I'm going to end where we started, with the love of God. God never gets in a hurry except one time. Luke 15, we talked about the prodigal boy. You know, that prodigal son didn't come and knock on the door. Dad, are you in there? Are you home? He never got that close, did he? His dad saw him a long way off. And he did something that Jewish patriarchs would never do. It was not considered dignified. But he reached down and he pulled up his robe and he took off running. He grabbed that boy, hugged him, he kissed him over and over. That's the verb tense. What did he smell like? He'd been in a pig pen. He had walked, I don't know how far. Didn't matter. He started this speech that he had planned. I've sinned thy side before heaven. No more worthy be called me. He had all this planned out. He never got to finish the speech. The father started barking, command. Give, give me the best robe, shoes, ring. Somebody get the fatted calf ready. We're going to have a party tonight. You know what that represents? And you and me. Because we're the one that's coming home in the far country when we come to Jesus. And the God of heaven, may I say it this way? We'll run to meet you right here. You've never been loved like that before. Is there anyone in this room who needs to make a decision? I don't know. But there ought not be enough demons in hell to stop a sinner from that kind. There ought not be anybody in here who's more concerned about what people will say about me than what God will think about me. Who cares? Let the world say what they will. I want to be right with God. God is the one who gave His Son for me. Jesus is the one who had holes in His hands for me. You say, well, what do I need to do, preacher? What do I need to do? You might have heard this before or you might not have, but you've never heard anything that's more important than what I'm about to say if you're not a Christian. Because this is how to be right with God. It's like the hand. First step is hear the gospel. God loves you. Jesus died for you. Who Jesus is, what he did. John 6, 44. Number two is to believe that with all your heart. You believe Jesus is the Son of God, not just a man, not just a historical character, the Son of God come down from heaven to earth and went back to heaven where one day he will return and take us to heaven. John 8, 24. Can't be saved unless you believe I'm he. Repent of sins. I repent. What does that mean? We don't use that word much. It means change. Change my mind about sin. Change my behavior, my sinful behavior. Can't be perfect. Nobody is. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to try. I'm going to turn away my allegiance from sin to Savior. Confess with your mouth. These, say these ten words. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Acts 8.37. That confession will echo in the halls of heaven if you say it. And then go down in the waters of baptism. Every bad thing you ever said, did, thought, erased. Everything you should have done, should have said, should have thought, as if you did. That's what forgiveness is. Because that's where the God of heaven puts the blood of his son upon the sin of the soul. And you're raised to walk in newness. Romans 6, 3 and 4. 
where are you on that hand? You say, well, I know I believe in Jesus. And I've been trying to do better almost. I guess I'm probably right. What would it take to get you right here? I can promise you. If I knew what words would get you right there, you would hear them. But if talking about the love of God and the hope of heaven won't get me there, what words would? If you haven't been a faithful Christian, maybe other people don't know it. If that sounds good to you this 